Thank you for joining our podcast from New Life Church Greenbrier. If you're joining us for the first time, we would love to know about it. Just text Greenbrier to 88000 and fill out one of our Connect cards. Now, let's listen in to today's message. All right, well, good morning, New Life Church. I see about half of our 9 a.m. crowd actually remembered to set their clock forward last night. The rest of them, they'll roll in in about an hour. You guys stand up and clap when they come in late, okay? How many sore dads do we have in the house from Friday's father-daughter ball? Yeah, you guys are lying. There's more of you than that because most of you were there. Listen, um, I I know this. You guys can't dance. (laughs) It's really bad. And I've got some really cool pictures and videos to prove it. So um, if I need my yard cut this summer, I know who I'm calling. Um, You know, they may not be able to dance, but I'm going to tell you what. The dads in the room, they can fight. And let me tell you how I know that. Because one of the games that we play during our father-daughter ball is the Cinderella game. And what we do, it's kind of mean, but it's really fun. (laughs) It's really fun to watch. But we take one of the shoes from the daughters and we put them in a pile in the center of the room. And then we put the dads around the outside. And when we say go, they have to race to the center of the room, find their daughter's shoe, and put it on their daughter to win. Now, they don't win anything, (laughs) but they win, right? You can always tell the guys that have been around a few years because they kind of hang to the back. (laughs) All the new guys, man, they were belly flopping. They were throwing elbows. People came out with bloody noses and black eyes. It was awesome. (laughs) Now, I do just want to say this really quick, though. I want to brag on you. Um, and the dads in the house, the way that you are honoring your little girls and the way that you are being the spiritual leaders in your home, I am so thankful to be a part of a community and a church that values the next generation. Aren't you guys? Can we give it up for our dads this morning? Well, this morning may not come as much as a surprise, but we're actually going back to the Sermon of the Mount. Everybody say, I expected that. I told you four weeks ago that we're not coming off of this mountain until God calls us off of this mountain. Uh, We spent the last four weeks in a sermon that Jesus preached in one day, and it's no surprise that it's taken us four weeks, and we still haven't unpacked everything that God was trying to teach us in this passage of Scripture. And the thing about the Word of God is it's how it works. Um, we can spend the rest of our life studying the Word of God and still not learn everything that God has for us to know about His Word. It's the living Word. And, but I do know this. There is no other place that we can go. There's no other book that we can study. There's nothing else that we can read that has more truth and that has more spiritual influence in our life than the Word of God. Can I have an Amen. You know, the thing about it is, is we have to understand that there is an overwhelming amount of evidence that the Bible we read today is still remarkably true to the original writings. You know, the text in the Bible is better preserved than the writings of Plato and Aristotle. And then we have the Dead Sea Scrolls that confirm to us, that confirmed an astonishing reliability of some of the copies the Old Testament made over the years. And although some spelling variations may exist, There was no variation that affected biblical doctrine. We've got to get this. You know, there's a study in 2022 that said that 3,589 languages 
have at least some scripture that has been translated into their language. That's powerful, isn't it? That means that 7.14 billion people have access to God's word. 7.14 billion. You know, according to one study that I read from September of 2022, it said that 97% of all people have access to some scripture that has been translated into their language. But this is what I want you to get before we get into today's message. There is no other source with more confirmed, documented evidence of accuracy and truth than the Word of God. Can I have an amen? Are you guys with me? I know it's early. Y'all either going to preach to me or I'm going to preach to you, okay? 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17 tells us that all Scripture, everybody say all Scripture. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. So that the servant of God may be thoroughly, everybody say thoroughly, thoroughly equipped for every good work. My question is this. If we know that 7.14 billion people have access to the word of God and we're part of that, what are we going to do with it? That's a responsibility on us. You know, there are people in this world right now that are hiding underground just to be able to open the word of God. How many of you would be honest and say you have multiple Bibles laying around your house? How many of you would be honest, too, and say that you could probably open that Bible a little more than what you do? We can all say that. So what are we doing with it? My prayer in this season, and it's the, it's the prayer of my pastor, and it's the heart of our church, that we take the word of God and that we grow and that we grow up. Amen? I believe it's time for us as the body of Christ to grow in his word and to grow up. And that means not dodging the difficult topics, right? That means that we don't water down the word. You know, when we started the Sermon on the Mount, we've walked through verse by verse to get to where we are today. But if you remember, the very first thing that Jesus does on the Sermon on the Mount is he doesn't build a platform and he doesn't wait till the sun's just right so his complexion looks good. The very first thing that Jesus does is what? He sat down with them. He let everyone know that was present that day that if they were willing to follow him, that he desired a relationship with them. The very first thing he did. And then what did he do next? Then he goes into the Beatitudes. Scripture does not tell us this, but I believe strongly that God addressed everyone present that day with the Beatitudes. And he let everyone present that day know that there was hope in a dark world. And I believe this is so important for us to get. You guys may have noticed that each week that I have preached the last four weeks, I've went back and I've reviewed where we are to this point. Do you know why I'm doing that? I'm doing that so six months from now, when you're going through a season and you're walking through one of these valleys, you can go back to the Word of God and you'll remember. Number one, Jesus desires a relationship with you. And number two, there's hope. Regardless of where you're at, regardless of what storm you're walking through, there's hope. Everybody say hope. There's hope, regardless of what you're looking at. And then what's the next thing he does? Jesus extends a challenge that has extended over 2,000 years, and it comes to you and I today. And that is that we are called to be the salt and the light of the world. That means that we can't water down the Word of God. That means that we have to be a light in a dark world. We are called out. We're set apart. We're called to be his disciples. But then he goes from there, and he tells us that he didn't come to abolish the law. He came to fulfill it. But then he addresses sin. And I love the way that he doesn't dodge the difficult part. You know what I mean? Jesus hits it right in the mouth. 
he comes at it head on and he talks to us about things like murder and adultery and divorce and oaths and eye for an eye. And he tells us that it's more than just the act. It's a posture of our heart. And then he tells us to love our enemies. Well, that can be difficult sometimes, can it? Sometimes it's difficult to love our family. Not just kidding, not you. It's, it's really easy to love. But some family, I'm removing that from next service. I won't say that twice. But you guys know what I'm saying, right? It's difficult sometimes to love our enemies, the people that don't support us, the people that are not encouraging us, the people that are not sitting on the side and cheering us on. But God says, I want you to love them too. Why is that? Because we're called to be different. We're called to be set apart. And then last weekend, Pastor Kurt, how many of you enjoyed last weekend's message? Man, it was so good. Pastor Kurt came in and spoke for us, and he talked about the posture of our heart towards giving. If you left here last weekend and you thought that last weekend's message was about money, (laughs) you missed the entire message. Last weekend's message had everything to do with the posture of our heart. But I want to be honest with you. Today, the message, we're going to stay on the Sermon on the Mount for part of the message. And then I'm going to take you about 40 miles south and back in time about 1,200 years. And today's message is something that has been stirring on my heart for about six weeks. And I've been praying about when I'm supposed to preach it. And I feel very strongly it's today. Now, I try to bring good preachers in every now and then so you guys can hear a good sermon. Thank you. You're welcome, Christy. But I want to tell you this. This may be, for someone here today, the most important message that I've spoken from the stage. I feel this very strongly. And I believe that it's time for us as the body of Christ not to just grow in the ways of the world, but to grow in God's word. Can we pray really quick? Father God, I thank you so much for your word and the clarity. And God, that we don't have to wonder how we are to walk through life. But God, most importantly, that you walk through it with us. So Father, today, I pray that you anoint this message, that this is your word and not mine. And God, if there's somebody here today that needs to hear this, I pray that you soften their hearts and you open their ears. We may have people here this morning that are visiting that are not even from here. But God, it may be for them. So Father, I'm asking right now that you speak. And God, we just make room for you to move. If you want us to get out of the way, God, we're going to get out of the way. It is in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. Amen. If you got your Bibles with you, I want you to turn to the book of Matthew, chapter 6. We're going to pick up in verse 25. We're going to read it together. If you don't have your Bibles, we'll have it on the screen behind me. And we're backing up just a little bit from last weekend. But it tells us, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life. Everybody say worry. Do not worry about your life. What you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear is not life more than food and the body more than clothes. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns. And yet your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? We know the answer to that, right? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you? You of little faith. 
So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Can I have an amen to that? Do you know there are hundreds of millions of people around the world today that are suffering from some form of anxiety or depression? Hundreds of millions. But the thing about it is, is the majority of those is driven by a fear of the unknown. Everybody say the unknown. It's fear of something that we don't even know is going to happen. It's fear of something that may happen, could happen, maybe even should happen. But it's the fear of the unknown. You know, one study shows us that 91% of high school and college students admit to having consistent and significant levels of anxiety. 91%. I've got a college student. 91%. How many of you think I'm going to sit down and talk to him this week? 91%. What about Scripture? What about the Word of God? What about the heroes of our faith? You know, there's something that, that I think is important that we understand this morning is as we read through the Word, it's important that we understand that the heroes of the faith are not the heroes. Now, let me say that again. The heroes of the faith are not the heroes. The hero is God. You see, God takes ordinary people and He uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things. How many ordinary people do we have in the room? The rest of you people are extraordinary. That's cool. <laughs> if we'll grasp that and we'll understand as we're studying the Word of God and as we're reading Scripture that what we're reading about is ordinary people that when God shows up, He allows them to do extraordinary things. It'll change the way that we understand God's Word. Moses, man of God, he led the children out of Israel, out of Egypt, or children of Israel out of Egypt. And at one point became so discouraged that he asked God to take his life. That's in Numbers 11, 15. What about Jonah? Remember the guy that got ate by the fish? Remember him? He goes on to see a great revival in the city of Nineveh. And then at the end of his life, he sits depressed under a shade tree and watches a worm eat away at it. What about Paul? What about the apostle Paul? He writes two-thirds of the New Testament. Two-thirds of it. This guy shouldn't have to deal with stress and anxiety. Well, we know he does. But depression? He said at one point that they were under such great pressure that they despaired at the thought of being alive. What? You will be shocked to know the person sitting to your left or sitting to your right have dealt with this at some point in time. And I'm just going to be honest with you for just a second. This is not in my notes, and I didn't even know if I was going to say this. There was a time in my life that I was so afraid of the what-ifs that could happen it had completely and totally debilitated me. I was so afraid of what possibly could happen that I'd stopped living. I'd given up. You guys have heard my story before, but I had watched so much pain and I'd watched so much destruction, so much evil. There's evil in this world. I'd witnessed it. I was talking to Pastor Adam about this last week. He and I were, were talking about the events in our life that still we still recall. As you know, um, Adam, was, he was a captain in the fire department in Little Rock and retired. And 
Um, if you don't know, I, I spent several years with the state police and was on the SWAT team for them. And, and unfortunately, had to see some, some evil things. Had to see some bad stuff. But I'm going to be honest with you. It got to a place where I would come home and I would pick my son up out of his crib and I would thank God for giving me one more day with him. Do you think that's how God wanted me to live? It wasn't. I'll never forget the phone call that my pastor made to me at 117 Stanford Road. It was his day off. My wife picked up on it and she picked up the phone and she called him. She actually called Miss B. You want something done? You called a mama, right? Miss B said, well, Shelly, it's his day off. She said, I... I understand that, but he needs to call Tim. Well, my pastor called me. And it was a pivotal moment in my life. Why am I telling you this? I'm not telling you this so you can say, oh, poor Tim. No, I'm telling you this to understand. If you're in that place, you are not alone. The people in this room, many of them have probably experienced some of the same things that you're dealing with. God has called us to have an even-if faith, not a what-if fear. You know, I preached that message a few years ago from this stage, and about three weeks later, a guy walked up to me, raised his shirt sleeve, and he had tattooed it on his arm. <laughs> I want you guys to tattoo it on your heart, even-if faith. Now, I've heard many preachers say that there's fears mentioned 365 times throughout the Word of God, and it's once for every day. But Philippians 4, 6 through 7 says, do not be anxious. Everybody say, do not. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your what? Your minds in Christ Jesus. Listen, we all have some phobias. We all have some things we're afraid of. If I'm being honest with you, I'm not a big fan of snakes. Just saying. Now, if you put a rubber snake in my truck, we're going to fight. But I'm not a big fan of them. There's a lot of phobias. As I was studying for this message and preparing, I, I, I read about some phobias that I don't even know existed. Did you know that there is a word for it? I can't pronounce it. Maybe you guys can. But it's a phobia of peanut butter being stuck to the roof of your mouth. <laughs> what? Is that even a thing? According to Google, it was. So it must be true, right? Just kidding. Just kidding. There's another phobia I read about that is called anatodayphobia. You know what that is? It's a fear of being watched by a duck. <laughs> Said no duck hunter ever, right? There's another one called turophobia. That's fear of cheese. Now, this one's kind of real. We do have a little bit of this fear around our family because we have a certain friend that, well, they, it was more than one time. I wasn't even going to say your name, Christy. You just had to speak up. She believes you can just cut the green part off of cheese and serve the rest part. Of that is not good. If it's green on the left, throw the right away too. Can I have an amen? <laughs> Still good. See, you people are weird. Green cheese. Honey, whoever that was, we're not eating with them. No cheeseburgers at their house tonight. I want you to write something down for me. You know, usually I have three points. Today I have one. And it's not even a point, it's a question. And I really want you, I really want you to pray about this. I believe if we can get this as a church, it could change our community. I really believe this. And the question is this, what lies are you believing today 
that are preventing you from achieving God's purpose for your life tomorrow? Let me ask it again. What lies are you believing today that are preventing you from achieving God's purpose for your life tomorrow? I want you to spend some time praying about that. Because the majority of the time, the fear that we struggle with and that we deal with is the fear of the unknown. And fear of the unknown is a lie of the enemy. You have to recognize that. And I told you we were going to stay on the Sermon of the Mount. Well, we did for part of the message. Now I want to take you about 40 miles south. And I want to rewind time by about 1,200 years. I want to take you to a place called Oprah. Oprah, not Oprah. That's the car lady. Oprah, different place. To a shade tree where the angel of the Lord appears to a man named Gideon. As you know, we just got back from Israel about four and a half weeks ago. And while we were on this trip, there were a few moments throughout those 10 days that really messed with me. It really wrecked me. And some of them were expected. But I'm going to tell you what, this one was the most unexpected moment that I had on the entire trip. And I have spent ever since we got back praying about what it was that God was trying to show me at this moment. But we see the angel of the Lord appear to Gideon. And Gideon is one of those guys that he's dealing with some of this fear and some of this anxiety, so much so that he's threshing wheat in the floor of a wine press. Now, I don't know if you know much about wheat threshing, but it's not designed to do in a wine press where there's no wind. Threshing wheat back then, they would toss wheat in the air and would allow the wind to take the chafe, the, the, the part that was not any good, and blow it away, and then the heads of the grain would fall to the ground, and they would gather it up. Now, listen, I, I'm going to tell you this. For time's sake, we don't have, there is so much that we can pull out of this passage of Scripture. There's so many things, but for time, we're going to get to the point here in just a minute. But Gideon was at a place where he was under so much stress and anxiety that he was hiding. We see in Judges 6, 1, why? So the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And for seven years, he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. For seven years, the Midianites wreaked havoc on the Israelites. When the Israelites would plant crops, Midianites would take them out. It says that they did not spare a living thing for Israel. And if you skip down to verse 6, it says that Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. They were to a place of despair. Everybody say, that's a bad time. You see, they had instilled so much fear in Gideon that he's hiding from them in this wine press. You see, this fear had Gideon stuck in this cycle. And he didn't know what he was going to do. You know, that's what the enemy really wants to do to you as well. You see, if the enemy can distract you long enough and instill enough fear in you today, he can prevent you from fulfilling your purpose tomorrow. What if we didn't deal with that? What would our marriage look like? What would our finances look like? What would our homes look like? I can just go on and on and on. But I want you to see how God viewed Gideon. 
Judges 6.12, he says, When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Now, this guy doesn't appear to be much of a warrior at the bottom of a wine press threshing wheat, does he? Well, the reason being is because God didn't see Gideon where he was. He saw Gideon of who he had created him to be and who he could be. Can I just say this? Gideon's circumstances didn't define him. You need to hear this too. Your circumstances, they don't define you either. You know, as a pastor, I get a lot of phone calls from people that are going through difficult seasons and difficult times. Can I just tell you that if you're walking through one of those right now, it doesn't define you. Verse 14 says, The Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? This is important. We can't skip over this. Do you notice what God tells Gideon, though? Do you understand this? He doesn't say, Gideon, I want you to go in the strength that I'm about to give you. Go in what I'm going to give you. Go in the strength that you're about to accumulate. Go in what you could do. No, what does he say? He says, go in the strength that you have. What is he telling Gideon? He's telling Gideon, you're strong enough because I'm going with you. Those phone calls that I tell you I get, a lot of times they they start out like this. Pastor Tim, I don't know if I'm strong enough to make it through what I'm facing right now. Can I tell you that God has given you the grace and the ability and the power to get through whatever it is that you're facing? He's never going to bring you to something and not get you through it. Now, you may not be able to accomplish it on your own. There's been many times in my life that I've been in a place that there's no way had God not shown up that I wouldn't have made it. That was one of those places I told you about a while ago. But I'm telling you this. He had enough strength right where he was in the bottom of that wine press. Verse 15. He said, pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but how can I save Israel? Now, you can understand the fear that has sunk in with Gideon and where he's at and what's going on. I mean, this is a fair question, right? He says, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. And then the Lord answered, I will be with you, and you will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. Well, we know what happens next. We've read the story. Gideon's still unsure of what's going on. He asked God to provide proof to him that he was really the Lord. So we know what, he, we know what happens. We know he touches a rock with his staff, and the fire consumes the offering that Gideon had provided. But this is something that I want you to get. Gideon goes on with, with ten of his servants, a little reluctant, and does it at night, and he tears down this altar that his dad had built. But then he comes back, and, and once again he goes to the Lord, and he says, I, I, need, I need proof that you're going to be with me. How many times have we gotten to a place and we said, you know what, God, I just need to know that you're there with me, right? Graciously, the Lord gave him proof. But this is important. There's nothing wrong for us to ask the Lord to show us or to reveal to us that he is with us. There's nothing wrong with that. But you have to understand, it is up to God whether or not he shows you. 
You know, the greatest reward is when we operate out of faith and we do it anyway. As long as we move forward and we know that God's calling us to it out of faith, even when we don't see the miracles. We've seen many miracles over the last few weeks. You know, my wife and I have been the campus pastors here about three and a half years. And I will tell you, the last four weeks have been my favorite four weeks to be a pastor. We've watched God move in powerful ways, in ways that only he can. My favorite was a few weeks ago when we, service was over. If you guys were not here, service was finished. We had dismissed, announcements made, offering taken up, all the check boxes, right? And I had one young lady walk up to me and say, Pastor Tim, is there room for one more baptism? That baptism turned into another baptism, turned into another baptism that turned into worship that went two hours after service was dismissed, shut down, the building closed. Only God can do that, right? I love that moment because God showed us that it's not about a person, it's not about an event, it's not about a building, it's not about the lights, it's not about the stage. Only God can do that. If you're in a place where you don't know how you're going to get over that mountain, I'm telling you, he's with you. But he asked for two signs. The first one he asked, that his fleece that he lays out be wet, the ground be dry. God allows him that miracle. But then the next time he comes back, he says, well, okay, God, I, I just need you to do one more. Pardon me, Lord, but I need you to do one more miracle. I can just see God go, Gideon. How many times do you think God has went, Tim? So many miracles. How many miracles does God have to perform in our presence before we faithfully follow him? How many? He's already performed them. The miracles have already been performed. When he hung upon the cross and he rose three days later, that should be miracle enough for it, shouldn't it? Shouldn't it? But we still want another one. This brings me to what I want to share with you. This is, this is the part that kind of wrecked me. I want you to go to Judges chapter 7, verses 1 through 8. And I want you to pay attention to the warriors here. We read this story, we study this passage of Scripture, and we focus on Gideon. But I want you to open your eyes and I want you to open your heart to something that God showed me that I believe he wants to show you today. It says, early in the morning, Jeroboam, that is Gideon, and all his men camped at the spring of Herod. The camp of Midian was north of them in the valley near the hill of Morah. The Lord said to Gideon, you have too many men. I cannot deliver Midian into their hands or Israel will boast against me. My own strength has saved me, they would say. Now announce to the army, anyone who trembles with fear may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. Why does he do this? God knows that with the amount of men that were present that day, it would be very easy for them to boast to say that they accomplished this on their own power, not with God's help. So at that point, 22,000 men left. 22,000 men while 10,000 remained. But the Lord said to Gideon, there are still too many men. 
And then he gives them some instructions. And this is what I want you to pay close attention to. He says, take them down to the water and I will thin them out for you there. If I say this one shall go with you, he shall go. But if I say this one shall not go with you, he shall not go. So Gideon took the men down to the water. There the Lord told him, separate those who lap the water with their tongues as a dog laps from those who kneel down to drink. 300 of them drank from cupped hands, lapping like dogs. All the rest got down on their knees to drink. The Lord said to Gideon, with the 300 men that lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hands. Let all the others go home. So Gideon sent the rest of the Israelites home, but he kept 300 who took over the provisions and trumpets of the others. Now the camp of Midian lay below in the valley. Now this is what I want you to get. They are at the Herod Spring. In fact, I believe we've got a photograph. Let me show you this. Um, this is where we were at. It doesn't look that remarkable, does it? It just kind of looks like a creek. But this is the actual location where this took place. And this is what I want you to get today. Kind of a fun fact I found that um, archaeologists in southern Israel actually discovered a 3,100-year-old jug fragment with five ink letters that appear to represent the name of Jeroboam. That is just enough. It just amazes me of how hard people try to discredit the Word of God, and we just keep digging up evidence and proof of it. I love it. I love it. But this is what I want you to get. God took 32,000 down to 10,000. And then 10,000 down to 300. But this is how he did it. It was a seemingly insignificant decision that these men made that either put them in the battle or took them out. A small choice, a small decision, seemingly insignificant. You see, there's nothing in the law that says this is how you are to drink water that I've read. It wasn't a sin for these men to kneel down and drink directly from the spring. God just chose them based upon a seemingly insignificant decision that they made whether to stay on guard and lap from their hands, from their cupped hand, or to kneel down and drink. This wrecked me. Everybody else got on the bus, and I'm telling you, I had to take a minute. I'm broke. Let me tell you why. It's because it's the seemingly insignificant, minute details, the smallest decisions that we make in our life that determines if we stay in the battle or not. I want to ask you, what is the seemingly insignificant decision that you have to make daily to keep you in the battle?
I have never felt anything in my heart like this. Daily. And it will look different for each and every one of us. We talked about our stories. Remember that? Remember the wailing wall and all of the prayers? Every one of those was a story. Every seat that's here today, every person in this room, it's a story. We each have a story. We each have our own testimony. But what is the seemingly insignificant decision that we need to make or have to make daily to keep us in the battle that God has called us to fight? For some of you, it may be not clicking onto that link on the computer. Seems innocent enough. For some of you, it may be not returning that inappropriate text that you just got. Seems innocent enough. For some of you, it may be at the lake when you've been sober for 10 years and you really want to fit in with that group and that one drink that seemingly seems innocent enough. But that can take you out of what he's called you to do and throw you back into that cycle. I don't know what it is for you, but this, this is what I want you to lock in for just a second. We, we have, we're fixing to take communion and we're going to celebrate a water baptism, but this is so important for somebody here today. It seems like such a minute detail and it can even, for some of you, even seem like a sig insignificant act but we all have to make the decision to invite Christ into our life. And you may be here today and you may be just testing out this whole Christianity thing and trying to figure out what it means. But there will come a time when you have to make what you think may be a seemingly insignificant decision that is the greatest, most powerful decision for eternity of your life. You have to make that decision. You have to make it. Well, why don't we serve a God that makes us love him? That wouldn't be love, would it? You know, every week, before we leave, our pastors come together and we pray over every single one of the connect cards that are turned in. We don't leave until every one of them that are turned in. And if you leave a phone number, we're going to contact you before we leave here. That way you'll have a number for one of our pastors or one of our leaders. If you're struggling right now and you don't know if you're strong enough, maybe you're battling fear and you don't know how you're going to make it through the next day, let us come along beside you and fight with you. I want you to fill out one of those connect cards. I want you to drop it off. You can bring it up here. We're going to go into worship here in a few minutes. You can bring it to the altar, lay it down. And when we dismiss, there'll be pastors and leaders up here, and we'll stay here as long as we need to, to pray with you and pray for you and fight with you. Thank you for joining us today. If you made a decision for Christ or could use prayer for any area of your life, please let us know. All you have to do is text Greenbrier to 88000 and click on Connect Card. Be sure to join us next week. 